Hey, it's Timmy Whispers from Stacey King's Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track, all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure you can take on any adventure. I'm planning on going river rafting this weekend, and I'm ready to head out on the trails with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. I love Kobe White. I think Kobe White's going to be a big-time player. And you got to remember, too, Mark, I mean, how many true point guards do we have in this league? All the guards in this league are combo guards Looking anyway. Score, yeah. And they all, they're all scoring guards. Point guard, is to me, is overrated. I'm a man of the people, and I, I love Bulls fans. We got some of the best fans in the world. Yeah. This is a great sports town, man. I mean, there, there's nothing like it. I mean, these fans, will they ride and die with you to the very end. They get mad when you're not winning. They get mad when there's not changes that they think should be made. But it doesn't stop them from supporting their team. Yeah, another jam. Yeah, this that. is not going I'm anywhere. Winning, I'm winning. scoring points with I, I'm, I'm, I'm respecting Neil, the Hall of Famer, and not jumping into what you have to say. But I'm, I'm about right. ready to give Mark Sinowski a throat punch. He's about two seconds away from getting a throat punch. The old two-piece, and we're not oh, talking about chicken. goodness. Man. Woo! Oh, my goodness. Give me the hot sauce, Neil Fuck. Yes, indeed, you can feel the excitement. NBA training camps are now open. We're just three weeks away from the start of a brand-new NBA season. Hi again, everyone. Thanks for dialing us up for the latest edition of the Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast. I'm Mark Shinowski. It's time to welcome in the star of the show, the one and only Stacey King. Stacey, almost time to get back to work. Are you ready? You know what, Mark? About a week from Friday, we'll be back in the gym, baby. I'm excited. Yeah, I know. Training camp is uh, interesting for us now in the media, but what was it like for you in your playing days? I'm sure that you kind of had to dread going into camp because camp was a lot tougher back when you were playing. Yeah, you know what? I mean, my first year coming in from Oklahoma, I was excited. I was like a deer in the headlights. I didn't know what to expect. It would be my first NBA training camp, a lot different than what you experience at the college level. But, you know, after that first year, you know, um, you know, when you're on a team like the Bulls and you're going deep into, you know, the playoffs and you're winning championships like we were during that run, um, training camp becomes a little tougher, you know, um, because the season starts up, you know, the turnaround of the season is real quick. So you don't have a lot of time to, to like most teams who get done in April, you know, you don't have that six or seven months to, to, you know, to relax and get your body right and take some time off. You're, you're right back at it. And it's kind of, if you look at the way this season is starting this year, it's kind of like that. You know, it's a quick turnaround. Uh, the teams that were in the bubble, you know, they've got to adjust their schedule now. Um, they don't have time to, you know, sit back and relax and heal injuries. You know, you already see some guys are going to miss the start of the season based on some injuries that they may have. So, uh, a little, little difficult, but, you know, when you have good coaches, they understand that. They, they understand how to dial it back a little bit. Phil Jackson was a master of that, uh, telling us, you know, th- you know, we didn't have to come into camp under those circumstances 100%. You know, coming in about 70%, we'll work our way up. 
we're not worrying about the you know the beginning of the season, the start of the season, preseason. You know, we want to work our way into conditioning, conditioning. But the key for us always was to be ready for the second half. You know, we weren't really so much concerned about home court advantage. We weren't worrying about seedings. You know, our philosophy was just get through the season healthy, make sure we got all our weapons at the end of the season, and then turn them loose. And that's what we did. Stacy, you mentioned on our last podcast that you were late getting to your first training camp as a rookie because you were holding out for a contract. What was it like trying to adjust to the speed of the NBA, the physicality of the game? you have a favorite story about guys struggling trying to adjust to the NBA game? Well, I mean, you know, a lot of, this, a lot of the training camp, you know, especially with the Bulls, you know, Phil delegated a lot of the responsibility to assistant coaches. And we were all learning the triangle at the same time. And, you know, everybody, you know, when you go back and you look at those championship years and you see how the triangle worked, I mean, that, was, that offense from Tex Winter was responsible for winning every championship that the Bulls ever gotten. And also throw in, you know, great players like Michael and Scotty and, and, and the players around them. Um, but, you know, just seeing, you know, Tex trying to teach that triangle, uh, we all learned it at the same time. It feels first year. So just going through remembering Tex like a Tai Chi teacher trying to teach us the offense and all the fundamentals of the offense. I, I mean, for me coming from college, I was used to working on fundamentals. But when I got to the pro level, I didn't think you had to do all that. You know, the two-hand chest passes, the bounce passes, uh, learning how to pass under duress. You know, Tex Winter doesn't get a lot of credit uh, for really being the, the architect of, you know, that team as well as far as their fundamentals were concerned. Because in his offense, you have to be fundamentally sound. You have to have a high basketball IQ. And I can tell you, every day before practice, we'd go for about 45 minutes just dumbing the offense, you know, dumbing, I mean, not even trying to score, just, you know, the passes, the getting to the right spot. Um, and, you know, that was very frustrating because it's like, like I said, it's like practicing martial arts. You know, you practice these martial arts, you never get to spar against anybody, you never get to, to see if it actually works. And then when you get into a game situation, and you're like, okay, let's see if this this offense really, really works. And it's just like, you know, Tai Chi. You know, everybody thinks it's, you know, oh, it's a fluffy offense or a fluffy martial art. And then you get in there and face somebody who knows how to do it, and they kick your butt. And it's the same thing with the triangle. Once we got out there and, and, and you know, we're able to execute against uh, the opposition, oh, man, it was it was a beautiful thing to watch. And then that's how all the players kind of bought into you know, Tex Winter, you know, seeing Tex Winter out there trying to explain the offense and, you know, you know, telling you where the ball is supposed to go under certain situations. And, I mean, every single day of practice always led off with about 45 minutes of the Tex Winter Tai Chi triangle offense uh, dummy through. Well, you guys had a pretty stable roster during your time with the Bulls, but it seemed like every year Jerry Krause would bring in a guy or two to kind of freshen things up. You had – Dennis Hobson come in and Bobby Hansen and Trent Tucker and then Rodney McRae in, in 93. Was it tough for those guys trying to work in with a new group? Obviously, Michael would set the tone for the way things were going to be run, but did those new guys trying to acclimate to the triangle sometimes struggle with that? Yeah, I mean, it's a very it's a very intricate offense. It's not an offense where you come down and you call out plays. Like, you know, you see the NBA game now. You hear the point guard. If you listen, if you're, you know, watching the game, you see hand signals, thumb up, thumb down. Or you'll see some kind of verbiage where they'll say, you know, 24 cross or, you know, uh, 14 pick and roll with a dive down and duck in and, you know, all these different numbers and different sets, which makes the triangle so beautiful and so hard to defend. 
Mark, is there's no play calls. There's no – you just come down and read the defense and you see how the defense is playing where the ball's supposed to go. And as when you're watching, you know, let's say the wing is overplayed. Well, you don't, you don't get flustered. You know, we didn't get flustered because we know there's four or five other options that we could go to. And that's what we did. You know, we went to four or five different options, and that's what made it so difficult to stop because the defense never – they never could load up to one side or the other because it was a balanced offense. It could, you know, you have strong side and you have weak side. You were, we were just as powerful on the weak side running the offense if the strong side was taken away. And you obviously bought into it because when you coached in the CBA, you ran the triangle offense, didn't you? Yeah, it's funny because I thought I'd never, I thought I'd never be a coach. First of all, I used to, I Tex used to tell me he thought I'd be a great coach, and I told him, I said, you know what, Tex, I don't think I could ever do it just because the fact that, you know, you see these guys and you know, being a player, you see how difficult it is sometimes to reach players. So I just, I just felt like I would never, I could never see myself being a coach. And then all of a sudden, man. I find myself, you know, actually retaining information. And what was so great about it was I've won like 70% of my games in Rockford, went to the finals, and I had a lot of great players that, that made me look good. But I think the biggest thing for me was, was to be able to call Tex Winter at any time to get any, you know, to get any kind of advice. Because, you know, one thing I try to do is, was – um, you know, update the offense a little bit. You know, I, I kept the, the basic core of the triangle, but I updated a bunch of modern-day stuff in it to take advantage of some of the guys that I had on my roster that I thought were individually that I could run something different but also have that, that strong structure and framework of the triangle. And I used to call Tex up and show him. And I'd show him the video, and I'd come up to, you know, I'd come up to, uh, to the Berto and uh, sit down and talk to him and show him things. He'd go, oh, my goodness. He goes, I never thought about that. You can run that, you know, and I, and I would show him different ways to run the triangle, but you're running like a – let's say you're running a regular set, like you're running a, you know, a pretty much traditional pick-and-roll type of set, you know, between, let's say, the one and the power forward. So that would be a call of 14, 1-4 pick-and-roll. So I could start off with a 1-4 pick-and-roll looking like it's a traditional pick-and-roll offense like you see most pro teams run. And I could run that right into a triangle, right into one of our quick sets. And Tex would always say, wow, I, I never thought about that. So I felt pretty cool, you know, being able to tell the master of the triangle that there are other ways that you could do it. And uh, he, used to, he used to always tell me, he's like, man, I knew you'd be a great coach. And I'm like, he said, you got to stick with it. And, I, you know, I told him, I, I don't know, man, I don't know. It's, it's tough because in the CBA, Mark, as you know, minor league basketball, you've had these discussions with – the great late uh, Norm Van Leer. You have to do everything as an, as a coach down at the at the uh, minor league level. I mean, I was the coach, I was an assistant, I was the general manager, the vice president, player personnel. I was the film guy, the tape. I was a trainer, taping ankles some days. I was driving the bus. I mean, there wasn't nothing that I could I couldn't do. But it it really prepared me. Like if I really wanted to carry on to the NBA level. That really helped me because I was doing the job of probably like 10 people. You know, in, at the CBA level, you don't have all the, the, the stuff that the NBA team has. You don't have all the resources. You don't have your individual film guys. You don't have all these assistant coaches to be able to break down tape for you, break down the opposing team. You know, I had to do all that stuff by myself. Not all these guys had the highest of basketball IQs. A lot of them were under-motivated. They didn't know what, what else they wanted to do with their lives. So they thought, well, I'll try to make it in minor league basketball. So you probably at times were looking at yourself like, 
man, why can't this guy understand what I'm saying? Am I speaking a different language? I mean, it had to be tough at times to get through to the players that, that maybe weren't as, let's say, uh, blessed with the greatest of basketball IQs. Well, and that's when you become a psychologist, basically, because, you know, yeah. what I used to do with these guys when they would come in, I would ask them, why are they down there? I would sit them down in my office and say, why do you think you're down here at the CBA level? And some of these guys had put up great numbers, you know, at the college level. And a lot of times, you know, Mark, it's, it's just a couple of things that, you know, keep these guys from being on the radar. Because you've got to remember, there's only two rounds now. You don't have six or seven or eight rounds that you can draft these players. So if you're not in that, you know, those two, those two rounds, you know, you fall through the cracks. And there's been a lot of great players come through the CBA that went in and did, you know, did work at the NBA. So, you know, you got guys like John Starks, Anthony Mason, you know, Miami Heat and Pat Riley when he was in New York was one of the few coaches that made the CBA uh, fashionable, basically. You know, he was, he was known for going down there finding tough, hard-nosed kids in the CBA because he knew that those kids were hungry. Those kids were going to come up and they were going to, you know, they were going to play because they know what it's like riding down the van, staying in, you know, staying at Holiday Inns in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, eating at the Waffle House. That's the best meal you're going to see on the road or unless you go to, like, uh, you know, one of those little uh, Golden Corral steakhouses. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what right. you're eating and staying, and staying in the hotels that basically the only thing they're missing is yellow tape. You know, for a crime scene. You know, so you know we, you know, you experience all that at the at the minor league level, and you get a lot of hungry players, man. So I was very blessed to have a lot of, you know, I had Mike James down there. You know, I had Dickie Simpkins on my team as a veteran. Uh, Jeff Sanders was on my team as a veteran. I, I had a lot. I had Randy Livingston at at uh, some point. He was an NBA player. So I had I had quite a few NBA players, but I had a, quite a few kids that that, you know, were hungry, that, you know, went overseas and played ball. And that's, that's awesome for a coach to see, you know, put a kid in position to, to reach his dream, whether it be the NBA or play overseas. And the NBA has certainly understood the value of player development because now all but two of the NBA teams had their own individual G League affiliate this past season. It's something that I know that the NBA, NBA puts a lot of emphasis on it. Hopefully with COVID and everything going else, the G League will be able to get going, but that's still kind of up in the air right now. We met, as we mentioned at the top of the broadcast, training camps are open. We're taping on a Tuesday. It's the first unofficial day of individual workouts. Guys can, they can get as many as four guys in there working with coaches and assistants. The first day of actual full team practices won't be until Sunday. But they had a little bit of a media day festivities at the Advocate Center today. And there were a couple of interesting things today that, uh, that came out. Number one, Lowry Markinen in his Zoom session with the media said that he wants to be with the Bulls long-term. He loves the city of Chicago. And he said he's putting pressure on his agent to get an extension done. They have a deadline of opening night to get an extension done on his rookie deal. Uh, that's encouraging, Stacey, because, you know, if Lowry wants to be here and communicates that to his agent, maybe they can get a deal done that's good for him and for the team. Well, I, I want him here. And I think anybody – I yeah. think the Bulls organization yeah. wants him here. And I think if you're Lowry – it's great that you made that clear that you, you know, this is where you want to be. And, and, and that's going to sit well with the organization. But also if you're, if you're Lowry's agent, you tell him to be quiet. <laughs> you just, you like, Let me do my job, you know, cause I'm trying to, I'm trying to make sure that you get, you know, get what you deserve out there. So, and I think, you know, what's important if I'm Lowry's agent, I'm saying these preseason games, you know, you go out here and you, you play like a superstar, you go out there and show, how valuable you are to this team, what you bring to this team. I And, Mark, we talked about this on previous episodes. You know, uh, there's no way in the world I would bet the farm 
that Lowry Marketing will not have the season that he had last year. I, I would, I mean, I would bet the farm. It's just, just when you look at his first two years and where he came from those first two years, and you know that second year was a big jump from his first year. Um, and then last year, again, with the, with the coaching change and, and you know, uh, not feeling comfortable maybe in Jim Boylan's system and not knowing his role, um, I don't think that's going to be a problem now. I, I think, you know, Billy Donovan is the right coach at the right time for Lowry Marketing, uh, for, you know, Kobe White, for Wendell Carter Jr., uh, you know, all the Zach Levine, all these young talents that the Bulls have been able to, you know, get via the draft and, um, you know, free agency, you know, these core group of guys, man, this is the right time for them because, you know, this is a good team. This team should have made the playoffs last year. I'm sorry. They should have made the playoffs last year. And, you know, we can sit there and say a bunch of things. Larry didn't play well. Uh, this guy didn't play well. At the bottom line, the team didn't play well, and the coaches didn't do well. So it's, it, it fell on that, that whole environment there. Uh, but there's no way in the world, if you look at talent on paper, there's no way in the world that team shouldn't have been in the playoffs. So this year it's playoffs. You know, that's the goal. You know, and I think with the way the front office has, has assembled, they didn't panic. You know, AK and Mark didn't panic and unload players and, you know, well, we got to go in a different direction from these guys. They understand that in order to, to be competitive in this new NBA and, and to be, have a chance to grow and develop, you got to build your team through the draft. You can't just keep, you know, you can't keep getting rid of your draft picks. You can't get rid of players that you, you've drafted that you, you invest a lot of money in and keep getting rid of those players unless you're getting something in return that's better than what you have. And I think, you know, AK coming from Denver understands that more than anybody. You know, I mean, there was times when you look at Jamal Murray, people were wondering if he could play or not. And, you know, that was after his first year. You know, it was up and down, and then he got better as, this, as his year went on. And now look at him now. I mean, he's an elite scorer in this game. He's an elite, elite player in this game. And, you know, if you gave up on him in his first year, you'd been disappointed. I mean, same thing with guys like Buddy Heald. You know, they're ready to trade Buddy Heald, you know, in Sacramento. You know, I mean, it, I mean, all it takes sometimes for a guy to get someone that believes in him. And I think Billy Donovan being here will give that confidence. I, I saw where Zach Levine said it's a different vibe now than it was last year, and the players have a different vibe. And that's what you want to hear. That's what you want to hear if you're, you're Bulls fans is that the vibe is different. The energy level is, is, is different, and guys' approach will be different this year. Yeah, just to button up the point about Lowry looking at it for a contract extension, Arturis Karnishevis was asked about it, and he said that Lowry is very important to the organization, and he said the Bulls will make every effort to get that extension done before opening night. So very positive news on the marketing front. And Billy Donovan mentioned the fact that he wants to get Lowry on the move more. He said the one thing he doesn't want to see is for Lowry yeah. to turn into just a stationary shooter. He wants to run him off the lanes, on pin downs, get him out in transition, and I think that's music to the ears of everyone, especially Stacey King. I think Billy Donovan's been listening listening to me on a nightly basis because I've been I've been saying it from day one. I mean, you got a seven footer that can shoot from distance. He can shoot threes. We all know that. But if you want Lowry Market to take the game to the next level, you know, he's gonna have to to do other things and just be a spot up shooter. You know, to be able to knock down three pointers is great for a seven footer because you extend the defense, you make guys come out. But if you really want to go to the next level, like a Dirk Nowitzki type of player, 
you've got to be able to play inside and out. You've got to be able to move without the basketball, you know, set screens, dive to the basket on the switches. Because a lot of times last year, and I thought this was a big problem for Lowry, is a lot of times in the pick and roll, and teams knew this. Teams knew that he wasn't going to roll to the basket, so it made easy switches for them. You know, it would be a mismatch every time, and Lowry would set the screen. Let's say it's a 1-4 pick and roll. He would fan to the three-point line, and the guard would just have to just, you know, stay with him and basically, you know, just hang out there. There was no mismatch where your, your, your ideal mismatch, Mark, is to roll to the basket, force a double team, which opens up shots not only for yourself, but your teammates and gives you high percentage chances. And I didn't think the Bulls took advantage of that last year. I didn't think, you know, they designed any kind of offense that had, uh, you know, Lowry moving. If you go back to Lowry's first and second year under Fred Hoiberg, he moved a lot. He did a lot of dive cuts, got a lot of dunks to the basket, and they kind of went away from that last year. So I expect, as you said, you know, Billy Donovan talking about it and recognizing it before camp even starts, that that's one thing, one area you'll see Lowry improve at this year. You mentioned Zach Levine, and he also had a Zoom session with media uh, the first day of workouts at the Advocate Center. He said his only goal for this season is winning. He says everything that, that, that's good in basketball, individual honors, all-star game appearances, all comes from winning. And he said that he's worked during the offseason to improve his defense, to become a better playmaker, a better facilitator, And he said, forget about these trade rumors. I'm 100% committed to what's going on in Chicago, and I want to make this Bulls team a winner. And you and I know Zach, and and, and this is a guy that really cares deeply about the city, about his teammates, and and I think that he's going to make every effort to thrive in this Billy Donovan system. Well, I agree with you. I mean, I mean, he's a gym rat. I mean, he loves to play. I mean, you look at the guy who came back from an ACL injury that, that was a devastating injury, and then it looks like he's never had an ACL injury. So he worked himself into playing shape, got himself back to probably being a better jumper than he was before he went out. I mean, the kid's got God-given talent. He's one of the best scorers in the NBA, you know, and unfortunately the team's not winning, so people don't really pay attention that much to him. But when you watch him on a nightly basis, this is a guy that can get you 30 every single night if he really wanted to. Um, I think he's got to become a much more efficient scorer because I think when you've got other people that can put the ball in the basket, it takes pressure off of him to have to come out every night and try to go for 30 um, and have to take a lot of outside shots and, and you know relying so much on his outside shooting. Whereas when you've got some other guys stepping up, Mark, you got Lowry playing at a high level. Um, you got Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter, healthy playing games. Um, you know, that takes a lot of pressure off Zach. Uh, Kobe White playing well at the point guard. Those two guys meshing in the backcourt is going to be key. Um, if you got all those things happening, you know, Zach doesn't have to score 25 a night. You know, Zach can give you 20, 21, and your team is winning. And then on top of that, he's, he's better defensively because, you know, every night in his position, he's facing an alligator. There's a killer every single night. You know, it should be a wanted poster in your locker room every time you play the opposing team's two guard because at that position, you know, there's nothing but killers there. And so he's going to have to come out and he's going to have to commit to the defensive end. He's going to have to get over screens because, you know, what teams realize with Zach is that he doesn't play defense like you want him to play. So he finds himself in a lot of pick and rolls, you know, a lot of, you know, big guys setting screens on him, which wears you down at the end of games. Your legs get heavy. You know, you, you take the chance of getting hurt more. And, uh, you know, if he can get better at that part of the game, we already know what he could do offensively. But if he gets that, that part of his game down 
where he's above average defender. I'm not saying he's got to be a great defender. I'm not saying he's got to be that guy locked down. But to be able to be above average with his athleticism, that's what you should expect if you're a Bulls fan and, and if you're Billy Donovan. Well, no one in the media has really got a chance to get to know Arturis very well yet. He kind of plays cards close to the vest, has a little bit of the sleuth Jerry Krause in him. It doesn't give you a whole lot of information, but the one thing he said that was interesting today, he was asked about the fact that the Bulls are going to bring back 13 of the 15 players that were on the roster last season, and some reporters were wondering, well, how do you expect to improve if you're bringing back the same group? He talked about trying to preserve cap space for the summer of 2021. That's why he didn't go out in free agency and make any aggressive moves. The only signing they had, of course, was Garrett Temple, the veteran swingman they brought in. Do you think this upcoming season is going to be more about evaluation than wins and losses? I've said this on previous shows, is that, you know, people have to trust Arturis and Mark. You know, give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I, th- I think personally, because I'm, I'm there day-to-day operations. I see it, you know, every day. I see the team every day. And from what I saw these last, you know, couple of years, the talent is there. You're not lacking talent. You're just lacking direction. And that's, that was the biggest thing, you know, last year is that they were, they, they had the talent. They were just lacking direction, you know, whether that be coaches, whether that be whatever else you want to point to, um, you know, they were lacking direction and now they have direction. You have direction in your front office. Uh, you have direction in your coaching staff. Uh, you have players now that, you know, when people always ask me, Stacey, who's the leader of the bulls, you know, who's the leader of the team, you know, and, and people are surprised. And I said, well, who do you think the leader is? And, you know, a person would say, well, uh, Zach Levine or Lowry or, you know, Otto Porter, you know, the, the first thing a person would always say, Mark is a player. No, the, the leader of the team is the coach, the coach in the locker room. The coach is the leader. Because he's the one that's going to put you in position. He's the one that the players have to listen to and trust that he's making decisions. So when, you, when your players don't respect the coach or your players don't believe in what the coach is doing, then it becomes a rudderless ship. It's like a ghost ship. It's, being, it's not being directed or driven by anybody. It's just floating out there at the sea. And I think last year you saw that with this team. It was just, you know, it was just, it was bad. And the players were going in different directions, and they had no idea where they were going. And they all have good intentions. If you talk to them, they all want to win. They all want to do the right things. And that's, that's a start right there for Billy Donovan. You know, these guys all know what they need to do. They all come from winning programs. They all play for coaches that, that you know, taught winning, taught teamwork. So you don't have any guys in that locker room that are coming back that, that doesn't want to be part of a winning team or winning organization. So all those guys want to do that. It's just a matter now. I think you just fans have to trust, you know, Mark and AK and and realize what their long-term plan is. I know it gets frustrating, Mark. We talk about this all the time. Fans want to win now. It's like, oh, how many more years do we have to rebuild? We've been rebuilding since, you know, Derek left. We rebuilt it after the, you know, after the uh, last dance group, you know. Um, you know, it's always a rebuilding stage. And I know it's, it's, it's you know, I know it's frustrating for Bulls fans. But look at it this way. You know, you got people in charge now, and you got a coach that's in place now that's been there, done it. They know how to do this. They know how to build winning organizations. And you just got to be patient. You got to trust them and give them the benefit of the doubt and let them do them and, and, and get this team where it's supposed to be. Because the big step right now is playoff or bust. You no way in the world this team should not make the playoffs next year. And that's the step. That's a step in the right direction. Now, after that, it's continuing to climb the mountain 
to become a, a force in the Eastern Conference. Now, how long will that take? That's going to be their vision. If they think, you know, they could be right now talking about in five years, we could be the best team in the Eastern Conference. They could have a game plan like that. Uh, Mark, we don't know what the game plan is. Fans don't know what the game plan is, but we have to trust them to, to feel like they know what they're doing. Do you think they can be a destination for free agents as early as next year, Stacey? I think they can. I mean, when you look at the talent they've got, if they, let's just say, for instance, Mark, they don't have to give up anybody. Okay, let's just say they, you know, they, there's a free agent out there. They have the cap space to go out and get them, and they see what the Bulls did this year, and they see what the Eastern Conference looks like. You know, the Eastern Conference doesn't scare you. You know, so if you're a free agent, you're like a, like a guy like Kevin Durant goes to Brooklyn. Well, you're sitting there saying, wait a minute, well, the Bulls got more talent than Brooklyn. Like, why would he go to Brooklyn? Well, maybe because the allure of the city, yada, yada. But as far as talent-wise, you know, Chicago is, a, is in my opinion, I, I don't know what players think nowadays, but Chicago is a city you want to be in. Chicago is a top-line city. It's a sports town. Uh, you know, I know the pressure for some of these superstar players is Michael Jordan. But you know what? You can say that about any player that you went into their organization. Like if you, let's say you went into Los Angeles Lakers. Ah, I got to play in the shadow of Magic Johnson or Kobe Bryant or Milwaukee. I got to play in the shadow of Oscar Robinson and Kareem. You can say that about any organization that had a great player. I, I think that's overrated, you know, about, about the Michael Jordan ghost and uh, no one wants to be in Michael Jordan's shoes. Listen, where the money is, and location players look at. And, you know, if people, if people, if this team can show that they can win and their, their core group develops and takes that step this year by being a playoff team, maybe one of these superstar players that, hey, man, they're one player away from being, you know, a legit title team and in the Eastern Conference for a long time. So maybe that will be the aspect that we'll see happen if this team can develop the way I think it can develop. The Bulls did make one addition in free agency. They brought in the veteran swingman Garrett Temple in from Brooklyn. He's a 6'4", 6'5 guy, can play the two-guard, play the small forward position. Everyone says he's a great locker room guy, similar to the Thad Young signing of a year ago. But Garrett Temple's a really bright guy. will bring some experience and some leadership in there. I don't know if he's going to get a lot of minutes, but AK mentioned the fact that they do want to get more experience to help this young group out. So I think in that regard, he could turn out to be a pretty valuable addition. Well, I, I think he's going to get a lot of minutes, to be honest with you, because he, he's a guy that can play up to three positions. Um, he's a, he's a three-point shooter. Uh, he, he, when he first came in, he was considered a lockdown defender, you know, for his size. I mean, he can play the one or the two. And now, you know, with the small ball three, you know, he's still a very good, adequate defender. So you can play him in a lot of different roles. You know, I think, I think the big thing for Billy Donovan is, is you know, you know, what What are you going to do with guys like Otto Porter? I mean, Otto Porter, who I, I really thought when we got him from Washington, that was the piece that we needed. You know, but unfortunately, his health has not been where you needed. I think he's played, you know, 20-something games out of 93 that I saw the other day. And, yeah, you right. know, that's, and he's under a contract year this year. You know, and that's one of the reasons why I felt like the Bulls went and drafted, you know, Patrick Williams is because of that, you know, and, you know, and we talked about it last show, not having an adequate small forward to back up Otto Porter last year. You played Chris Dunn and, and uh, Shaq Harrison to, you know, or guards at the small forward position. Now you go out and get a guy, 
you know, like, you know, Garrett Temple, who can swing down there and play small forward against certain teams, and Patrick Williams. So, you know, that's the key. How many games will Otto Porter play? Because I, I really honestly believe if he's healthy and he, and he can get, you know, 70 games in and he stays healthy all year long, you know, that's a big if because he hasn't done it his whole career. But if he can stay healthy, he, he's going to be a big reason why this team makes the playoffs because of his, his defense, his length, that he can guard threes and fours. Um, you know, he can shoot the basketball. He can make plays off the bounce. There's so many different things that, you know, he's like a jack of all trades. He can do so many different things to help you win games. And when he's not on the floor, that's a huge loss for the Bulls. It was at least last year. It was a huge loss for the Bulls because not only did you you miss his length and his scoring, but you miss his rebounding, his his playmaking ability from that position. Um, you know, and he works really nice off the ball with Lowry and and Wendell Carter Jr. Um, just knows what he just knows how to play. So he's got to be healthy this year. He's got to get more than you know the more you know twenty some games that he's already had here as a bull out of ninety something. You know, it's got to be this year. He's got to play consistent, stay healthy, and uh, be out there every night. Stacey, you talked about the fact that a lot of the Bulls' young players came from winning programs in college, and it's a big adjustment to all the losing they're experiencing at the NBA level. From your own personal perspective, you kind of went the opposite way. You were a big winner at Oklahoma, played in a national championship game, won three championships with the Bulls, and then you get traded to the Minnesota Timberwolves. It was kind of like going from the four seasons all the way down to Motel 6. What was that whole adjustment like for you? Yeah, well, let me tell you, man. It was like going from the penthouse to the outhouse with uh, no elevator. <laughs> just, just step in. You know, you, 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 start, you step into the elevator thinking that thing was the elevator, and it's not. And you just go straight to the bottom. You skip all. You go 99 floors down and go face first into the <laughs> ground. It, it was no fun at all And because uh, I hate losing. I, I hate losing. I don't want to be around it. I don't want to be associated with it. And, you know, it, it's it's worse because – when you come from winning programs, college programs, you know, and you get to the NBA and you, you get put on a, a winning program like I did with Chicago, you know, there's certain ways you, how you carry yourself as a winner, you know, how you prepare. You know, it, it was professional here. You know, everything down from reading the scouting reports to watching film to spending time with each other, you know, going over, you know, certain aspects of the game, how to play this guy, you know, listen to, you know, guys like Bill Carwright, all right, Stacy, play this guy this way, play Robert Parrish this way or that way, you know, giving you scouting reports to help you out, you know, Scotty and, you know, Horace saying play, you know, play Kevin McHale this way, don't let him go that way. You know, though, that, that was awesome for me, you know, being able to get that kind of coaching you know, um, you know, besides Phil and Tex and Johnny Bach and Jim Clemens, the co- the players also being coaches for you, especially for young kids. So when you come to a, a losing program, you know, I went to Minnesota. I mean, we, you know, my first day there, they they asked me, you know, Sidney Lowe is the coach, and so he says, hey, do you want to you want to play tonight? You know, and normally you sit out a couple of days after you get your physical and you know watch and learn or whatever. I was like, no, nah, I'm ready to play. I'm ready to play tonight. We were playing the Houston Rockets. And so he said, we're going to have shoot around. We're going to have shoot around at 10 a.m. So now coming from Chicago, when you say shoot around at 10 a.m., you know, most, most of us in, in Chicago were always there an hour or two before shoot around. So we get there, get treatment, lift weights, work out with Al Vermeil, and then we go to shoot around. It's a professional. It's your job. So I go to Minnesota assuming that every team – is like the Bulls. I know they didn't win a championship or whatever, but I assumed every team was like the Bulls. It was just professionalism. 
I get to the I get to the first shoot around. There's two players from the Timberwolves there. Okay, never forget it. Tell us Frank. And and Mike Brown, who used to be a Bulls player at one point in his career, right. and then coaches, and we had uh, the the equipment guy. So I'm sitting there now. It's ten o'clock. I don't see anybody. I'm I've been there for over an hour and a half lifting weights. No player came in except those two players I just named. So it's time for it's time for practice. I'm on the court, and the other two players on the court. There's nobody else on the court but the coaches. They're walking around talking, and you know whatever yada yada. So I asked Mike Brown, I said, Mike Brown, like, where are all the players at, man? We got a game tonight. It's shoot-around. Don't y'all walk through what the other team is going to do? Because that's what I assume with shoot-around. That's what I've been exposed to. So he starts to laugh. He said, well, <laughs> he's like, well, you better get used to this. And the players do what they want here. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, you'd you be lucky if you see anybody. This is, op- this is optional to them. I'm like, wow. So – so then all of a sudden, so he said, okay, we're going to go through the plays. Well, there's only three players there, and you've got to have, you got to have ten. So we're missing seven players. So we need to go through what Houston's going to run, but we don't have enough bodies. So we have coaches come in. We had the equipment guy come in, B. Clyde Drexler. Then we had, we had some, some people because we worked out in the health club, Mark. So we had some people on treadmills that were above the uh, court. And they had to flag him down. Hey, um, excuse me, ma'am, ma'am, on the treadmill, Juan. And she's like five four. I'm like, wow. So say, come on down. We need you to come down on the treadmill and be Hakeem uh, Olajuwon. So we had like strangers, you know, helping us go through the walkthrough. And I was just like, what the hell is going on here? Like I'd never seen this. And I mean, oh, you, you see. I mean, I, I players come in late to the game. You know, you you know, you're supposed to be there two hours before the game. You know, say a seven thirty game. You know, most players are there at five o'clock, five fifteen, getting ready, doing your routine, looking at the scouting report, watching film. That's what we do in Chicago. I go in Minnesota. You know, you got guys like J.R. Ryder, who I love, who's a great talent, was a great talent. You got a guy coming in the game. You know, thirty minutes before tip off, and looking at us in the locker room as we get ready to run out there. Like, we're early. Like, what are y'all doing here so early? It's like, dude, we got a game in 20 minutes. What, what are you doing? You're starting to go. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it, it, man, I can about my time there, boy. Woo, Lord, have mercy, Mark. Oh, Lord. I tell you what, that reminds me of the old Will Chamberlain story when uh, Bill Sharman, who played for the Celtics, the Hall of Famer, he was coaching the Lakers, and, and he, he wanted to institute shoot-around. It was a new concept. And Will told him, Coach, I'm going to play once tonight. Either shoot around in the game. You pick which one you want me at. So that was the end of the shoot-around. <laughs> well, Phil Chamberlain, when you score like 100 and some points in a game, you could probably get away with that. You know, but, I mean, you know, it, it, a lot of people do a lot of different things. Teams do a lot of different things. Like, you know, Pat Riley, for instance, you know, Miami. You know, you go to Pat Riley's shoot-around, it was like, I mean, literally like a game situation. You had to get your ankles taped because shoot-around – is really kind of nonchalant. Like you're not taped, you're not doing any kind of contact, you're shooting, you're getting up shots, both ends of the court, you're walking through the other team's uh, plays with no contact, minimal contact, because you don't want anybody to get hurt. But Pat Riley's uh, shoot around, oh my God. I mean, you literally, you had to be taped, and it was physical. Like you would run, like we'd run Utah's play. You know, they used to run that, that, uh, that uh, kind of one-four rip screen where, where John Stockton would throw the ball to the wing and then go, go down to the post and then come back and rip screen to get Carl Malone to run right back to the post. Man, we're running those plays and dudes is hitting us like Stockton hit us in the game, you know, uh, that night. <laughs> I, mean, we're really, I mean, we're going an hour and a half hard. And, and, Mark, get this, 
if you were Utah and you said, hey, we played last night in Atlanta, we're not going to shoot uh, tomorrow. So you guys, we're not going to shoot tomorrow so you don't have to leave the balls out or whatever. Don't let Pat Riley hear that because Pat Riley now is not – not only is he going to take your hour that we have for the heat, he's going to take Utah's hour. So now you got a two-hour shoot-around because the other team called and said they didn't want to practice. And so whenever that happened, we the first thing the players would do, we'd ask the trainer, hey, man, did, uh, did Atlanta call? Are they coming in? You know, who, is, is Boston coming in tonight? <laughs> You didn't want to have to go out there and go through a two-hour shoot-around and, uh, and then and have to play a game that night like you played two or three games. Hey, obviously, free agency, there were a lot of movement uh, with, with some of the players changing teams. The uh, Charlotte Hornets were able to get Gordon Hayward away from the Boston Celtics. The Clippers made a couple of moves. They brought in Serge Ibaka and Luke Kennard. But, Stacy, to me, the rich get richer in this one. The Lakers get Montrez Harrell. West Matthews to make the trade for Dennis Schroeder. I tell you what, the Lakers look stronger than ever, and I think uh, LeBron will be a big favorite to get that championship number five this coming season. Well, if you look at their roster, they, they've upgraded their roster. They've got a little bit more versatility. You know, you get a guy like Schroeder who's underrated um, as another ball handler that can take some pressure off. More, he, he, In my opinion, he's Rondo with more scoring ability. And so you pick him up, you get a guy like Wes Matthews, who's a proven scorer in this league, a, a, a floor spacer, uh, because that's what you need if you're the Lakers. You need guys that can space the floor. You don't need guys that are going to be, you know, clogging the paint for Anthony Davis and, and, you know, LeBron not to be able to operate. So they're doing it the smart way. They're putting players around that can play with LeBron and not the other way around. So uh, they've, they've done a good job. Harold getting, you know, them stealing Harold from the, from the Clippers was amazing because, I mean, that, that, he was a big part of what the, the Clippers six-man of the year, energy guy off the bench the last few years, uh, great compliment to Lou Williams for the Clippers off the bench. And then all of a sudden now, you know, the Clippers lose that. Now you get Serge Ibaka, who, who might be a better offensive player, uh, but you still, Serge Ibaka is going to end up, you know, being in the starting lineup. You know, now where do you get that energy bunny off the bench for them? Uh, I thought the Luke Kennard signing was big for them because I, I think Luke Kennard, when healthy, is a very good player, a uh, very good shooter, you know, high basketball IQ, you know, more athletic than what people think. And then also, Mark, you know, uh, just a bigger a bigger guard, you know, to, to take some pressure off of – Kawhi Leonard having to handle the ball all the time. And, you know, uh, the kid Shaman didn't really fit in there, uh, you know, after that trade when he came over from Philadelphia. It didn't really fit in, and I think Kennard's a better fit. Yeah, you look at the Eastern Conference, Miami picks up Avery Bradley and Mo Harkless. They signed Bam Adebayo to a max extension, which surprised some people. Why would they be surprised though? That kid is a bowler. I mean, he, I mean, well, the way people he played, thought that they were going to save money for Giannis, though. Well, you know what? You got to take care of your guys, man. I mean, you—that's right. th- the problem when you when you know players look at organizations. Okay, when they're looking at organizations, they say, "Do I want to go play for Miami?" How do they treat their players? Do they reward their players? I mean, you heard Anthony Davis' dad when uh, Anthony Davis had a chance to you know end up in Boston. His father came out and said, "No, I don't want him to go to Boston. I don't ever want him to go to Boston, especially after the way." The Celtics treated Isaiah Thomas when Isaiah Thomas uh, was playing with a bum hip and, uh, you know, playing with all that adversity. His sister passed away, and, you know, he ended up coming back and playing, and, uh, and then they, they traded him. 
And, you know, so, you know, these players look and see how these organizations take care of their players. Miami was smart in the locking up Bam because in the long run, if he keeps, you know, trending up like he is, I mean, he it, it's a steal. I mean, he, he's a steal for them, and he's a big part of what they do. He's still young, you know, early 20s. So you got to lock those kind of guys in, man. And, you know, they were able to sign uh, Dragic. They kept him. So I like what Miami did, you know, um, you know, picking up Harkless is, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Jay Crowder brought more to the table than Harkless will. But, you know, Avery Bradley on the defensive end, he's one of those heat type of players, they're, they're culture type of guys that will play both ends of the court, which they love, and uh, he'll fit in nicely there. So who's the favorite in the East? Milwaukee bounced back okay. Then, you know, they got Drew Holiday. They were not able to get Bogdan Bogdanovich, but they pick up a couple of former Bulls and Bobby Portis and DJ Augustine. They bring in Torrey Craig, who's a good wing defender. They add a shooter in Bryn Forbes. Who do you like in the East? Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, or somebody else? You know, you gotta you gotta still put Milwaukee as the, as the favorite um, in the Eastern Conference. I, I just believe that the bubble really hurt a lot of teams. Let's just be honest. The bubble hurt a lot of teams. Guys were having a hard time getting themselves into playing in that environment. I think now with teams playing in their 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 natural habitat. You know, I think that's going to make a difference this year in, in playoff-wise for some teams. Um, I still think, you know, the Lakers are the team to beat. But, you know, you got to remember, you got Kevin Durant coming back this year with Brooklyn. You know, you got Kyrie Irving. And if they're able to swing that deal to get James Harden there, which I, I don't think you can play all three of those guys at the same time. But, hey, if they can do it, man, hey, bless them. Uh, but I don't think you can. But if they're able to swing that deal um, – you know, with and they remember, you know, Brooklyn was able to, uh, you know, keep some of their core group of guys. They didn't have to get rid of Karis LeVert and, you know, so, but they might have to if they moved uh, for uh, James Harden. But for as it is right now, you know, Joe Harris resigned the shooter that they need. I mean, they they got their key pieces there. Uh, they could be a team that you have to be looking at and saying, wow, you know, they they got a shot to come out the East. And then Boston is Boston. You know, they're going to be better. Um, I, I think Jason Tatum is, is, and Jalen Brown, you know, those two kids together, you know, had a, a remarkable run in the bubble. They just ran into a hot Miami team. But they, they're going to be a team to watch as well. We're going to talk a lot more about changes to all the rosters around the NBA in the coming weeks. But I want to get to this. Time for the On the Down Low segment, one of our favorite parts of the Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast where we talk about Something other than the world of basketball. Stacy, I got to ask you about the big boxing card over the weekend on uh, the undercard of Tyson Roy Jones Jr., Nate Robinson. We love little Nate, and he almost got his head torn off. What was your reaction to watching that go down? Listen, I love Nate. He's one of my favorite Bulls players of all time. But somebody should have told him to duck. Because I tell you what, <laughs> and I love Nate. I think Nate thought it was going to be a lot easier than what he did. You know, Mike Tyson always said, man, everybody got a plan until you get hit in the face and uh, punched right. in the mouth. And I think Nate had a plan when he came through the ropes. He was walking around looking like a New York Nick. He had all his all his gear on. He looked like he was going to play basketball. And then once he got hit in the face one time by Jake Paul, he realized, like, oh, I might be in trouble. And uh, I tell you what, man, <laughs> Yeah, I'm just glad he is okay. Because I, I, the way he got knocked out, he was like out. I, I mean, when he fell, Mark, I mean, wow, dude. And and there's one person. If there's one person now, Nate's okay now, ladies and gentlemen. He's, he said he's okay. But the one person who's celebrating this 
this Nate, you know, this Nate being knocked out uh, boxing match? Who do you think it is? I don't know. I, I know that he's become a worldwide meme, Nate has. The one person who probably was doing cartwheels when Nate got knocked out, Michael Jordan. Because the crying <laughs> Jordan, it now disappears. It, it may not be the most popular meme uh, here in the near future. He probably saw, I'm telling you, within 20, within 20 minutes, I must have seen 15 Nate Robinson memes. I saw one where he was laying on the <laughs> he was laying on the ground and Simba was on top of him. You know, you know the 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 Lion right. King, and when yeah. Mufasa Simba was like on top of him. You know, wake up, wake up. They had that on there. They got the the Nate Robinson challenge where everybody lays on the ground. I mean, it, it was crazy how many memes came up. So the one person that's probably you know excited that that that, that happened. I'm sure he didn't want anything bad to happen to Nate, but as far as the meme world is concerned, uh, MJ probably was doing like he won the championship when he hit that game-winning shot against uh, against Cleveland to start the Bulls' runs and stuff. You know, he's probably jumped up that high, you know, because uh, he don't want to be that. He don't want to be that guy. He hates that meme, man. MJ hates that crying Jordan, and uh, so but everybody uses it. So I, he's probably the one guy that was excited about it because that kind of takes a lot of the heat off his crying Jordan. <laughs> you know, it's bad when you become a verb. I saw Indiana got blown out by Texas in a game this afternoon, and, and the, the uh, statement on Twitter was they got Robinson. So that's oh, you know, my God. You know, it's really funny, though, because, you know, I've been over here, I've been over here ever since Nate got, got beat, got knocked out. I've been I've been kind of being a promoter. I've been kind of like Don King. I'm over here trying to get Kendall Gill, who has uh, oh, yeah. hands been boxing. I've been trying to get Jake Paul to look him up. And, you know, because as a basketball player in the basketball NBA fraternity, okay, you know, we're not going to take that loss like that. We're not going to take Nate Robinson. As the NBA, we're not taking that loss like that. We're going to send a new champion out there, okay? We're going to send a new champion. Because, you know, it was kind of like, you know, the, when you watch, the, um, when you watch the, the Black Panther and then the Black Panther got beat by uh, Killmonger. <laughs> That's right. kind of what right. Nate was. It was like, is this your champion? This is the people you're following. No, listen, we got to send Kendall Gill out there, man. Kendall Gill versus Jake Paul in the same format. I guarantee you that outcome won't happen. Kendall Gill can fight. He can box. And I'll put my money on Kendall Gill. So I'm putting it out there right now. Jake Paul, if you really want to fight and you really want to know what an NBA player can do to you, call Kendall Gill and another guy too, James Johnson. That would be my second choice. Those are my first two choices right there. It would be Kendall Gill and James Johnson. You got to remember, James Johnson a black belt in, in kickboxing. Oh, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and, and so he's got hands. Don't sleep. Don't sleep. And he was undefeated as a kickboxer. So I would say those two guys, if I'm the NBA, we're going to throw another player out there. We're not going to throw a fish out there for Jake Paul. We got to throw some lions out there. Those would be the two guys I'd throw out there. And, and little Nate right now, I'm telling you right now, he needed, he needed to get with a real trainer because I don't know who trained him, where he went. I don't know if it was Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles. I don't know who the hell trained him. But he walked out there. He didn't have no head movement. And before the fight, I thought he'd have a chance, Mark, because he's so quick. You know, I thought he's, sure. you know, in and out, give him different angles. I thought that's where he would do because he's such a great athlete. 
And I think he relies so much because he's such a great athlete. This is a guy who got drafted in football. This is a guy who, you know, played basketball. He pretty much has done pretty much anything he wants because he's a good athlete. But that boxing, you know, they say it all the time, Mark. You hear these boxers, you can't play boxing. You can play basketball, play football, play baseball. But you can't play boxing and you can't play UFC. That's some real stuff out there, boy. You better, you better have your game tight if you step, step in that octagon and step between them lines, them ropes. Because if not, you'll get your head knocked off. And I think Nate found that out very quickly that even though he was fighting a YouTuber, and people just get off that. The kid can fight. That kid, Jake Paul, yeah, he's on YouTube, but he boxes a lot. It wasn't like he was his first fight. It wasn't like, you know, they were in a tough man contest. You know, that kid boxes before. So he had some kind of training. He's got skills. And uh, he kind of – it was overmatched. It was kind of like, you know, matter of fact, that – that was probably the most interesting fight of all. The Tyson and and, uh, and the Roy Jones fight was was awful. I, I, it was awful. I, it was it was like watching watching uh, 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 you know somebody at a wedding, and it was like the, you know some senior citizens out there dancing, listening you know to uh, some Frank Sinatra and slow dancing. That's what it was like. I mean, Mike Tyson honestly held back. You could tell he held back on him. He didn't really let loose on Roy Jones, and that was kind of sad. And then Snoop Dogg's commentary that was funny. Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg, I ain't gonna lie. I would pay to hear Snoop Dogg do commentary. He was hilarious. He made that fight uh, interesting to watch. And oh my God, when when Nate Robinson got knocked out, boy, Snoop Snoop's commentary was 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 classic. <laughs> yeah, people are saying now that they should have Snoop on all the major fights. He he was definitely entertaining. He made it worth the personal yeah. price because you mentioned the Tyson Jones oh. thing. They kind of had a gentleman's agreement. Hey, we were. We're all-time greats. We're not going to hurt each other. Let's take it easy and just uh, take our money and go home. So the action wasn't great, but but Snoop made it fun to watch. Well, that Tyson fight, see, what could have been interesting is is if, if Roy Jones didn't really want to fight, because, you know, they said Roy Jones was trying to pull out ever since he saw Mike Tyson's body. He's like, he's ready to pull out. So what would have been interesting, if you really wanted, if Mike Tyson really wanted to be taken seriously, then he should have got an op- opponent that he could be serious with. Because, you know, you got guys like George Foreman coming back, you know, uh, at a certain age and, and, you know, winning the heavyweight championship. If Mike Tyson is still has something left, because one thing happens, you know, you, yeah, you age, and you get slower, but that power stays the same. You're not losing that power. And so, you know, it would have been nice to see Mike, you know, fight against a legitimate, you know, person, four rounds, exhibition, whatever. But it's a real fight. You know, to see what he's got. And then if you want to have another fight, it's not going to be so hard to sell. See, it's going to be hard to sell any more of those type of fights with Mike Tyson fighting somebody because they're going to be like, well, you're not going to dupe me for $50 again after seeing that crap. You know, I mean, you, you could have put that on for free. You know, I mean, I'd rather – if you were to tell me that Snoop Dogg's going to be commentating – I'll be, yeah, I'll do it. I'll, I'll pay the fifty dollars. <laughs> what, what about Evander Holyfield? You want to see Tyson Holyfield three, or you think that'd just be another dance around the ring? It would have been nice if that would have been the fight here. You know, it would have been if they would have said, "Hey, let's fight a four round exhibition, five round exhibition, and let's go hard for four or five rounds." I would have paid to see that. That would have been nice to see. Um, I think Holyfield and they they wouldn't have had that gentleman gentleman's agreement. Um, you know, because you got to remember, I mean, you know. Tyson still hits hard, and, you know, Holyfield is always in shape. So, you know, it would have been interesting to see how that would have, how that would have played out, and plus they have history. And I think a lot of people would have, would have paid to see that. See, a lot of people paid for the fight just because of Mike Tyson. 
the name Tyson still carries, you know, a big, big, you know, portion of boxing. So people want to see him. Like they, they've seen all these videos of him boxing and getting in shape and everything. And so you, you, you know, you get everybody's uh, fascination up to see what he looks like. And then you get him in there, you're like, man, Tyson's going to kill him. Look at Roy Jones' body. He's not, he's not in the shape that we're always used to seeing Roy Jones in. And then you see Mike Tyson, you know, after the first round, it's like, oh, no, he's, he's taking it easy on him. He's, he's pulling punches. And, and it was kind of tough. I, it was hard to watch, you know, uh, other than like when Snoop Dogg said it looked like two uncles in the backyard at barbecue fighting. Grandma come get them, they fighting again. That that's exactly what it looked like. If you know anything about your uncles going at it at a at a barbecue or any kind of family function, um, you know that that's exactly what it looked like. And so that that was funny him saying that. And um, again, you know I'm I'm you know boxing is you know boxing has got to to do something to keep the interest and the peak, the people's interest up. You know you got to have more quality fights if you want to be on the lines of UFC. And and you want to you know want to be noticed again, have people watch you. You got to start putting on quality fights, you know, because uh, what we've been seeing over the last few years, the 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 great fighters don't fight each other, the champions are not fighting each other to their past or prime. That's why their fan base is is gone. That's why they, they've lost their fan base. So um, in order to get that fan base back, you got to start putting on some exciting exciting fights. Now I think there's a fight coming on this weekend. Um, you've got uh, Earl Spence versus um, uh, what's my other, my, my other guy's name, Danny uh, Garcia, and you know two form, one former champion versus a uh, you know a pound for pound guy who's a champion. So that should be a good fight. So uh, I'll be watching that as well. So you know you know I'm a, I'm a boxing fan, so I got to be on top of all that too. You know I'm not just a basketball. We talked about that, Mark. You got to be multi talented, multifaceted. You know, Kendall Gill posted a video on Monday showing that he sparred eight rounds. So uh, I think he's got that idea already in his head. You got to get that uh, Jake Paul Gill fight together. I'm serious. I mean, Kendall Kendall loves boxing, and you know he's he's got good skills. I mean, he he would have he would have given a better show, I think, than Nate. I mean, Nate was kind of like you know watching that fight was like watching Apollo Creed versus you know the Russian. You know, Drago. <laughs> right. And then and, and, yeah. and it kind of looked like that. It kind of looked like that. You know, and I, I, I'm over here yelling, oh, in the damn towel. And, and I'm that, the first time, I'm like, no, in the damn towel. He, he, after he went down that second time, man, I was like, oh, man. And then I can only imagine, I saw some of the memes, you know, uh, the Russian, if he dies, he dies. And they put the guy's head on, uh, on Drago's head and <laughs> Jake Paul's head on Drago's head. I'm like, wow, boy, the Internet is undefeated. They are undefeated, Mark. You know who else is undefeated? Our buddy Robin Lopez. I thought when he decided to opt out of the second year of a ten-year, uh, ten million dollar contract with the Bucks, he was flat out crazy. I mean, I love Robin, but he's an old school center. I didn't know if he had a, a role in the modern NBA. Well, he was dumb like a fox. He went with a, he turned out five million. He got nine million from the Washington Wizards. Congratulations, Robin Lopez. Are right, you serious? Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. He's a great dude, and for them. I mean, that's a good signing for them because, you know, he can come down there, he can rebound, he'll play defense. Um, he's good in the locker room, uh, tough, hard-nosed player. Plus, he always had some good games against the, the Wizards um, when we would play, you know, down there with Chicago. So, uh, I'm happy for Robin because he's one of my favorite former Bulls, too. You know, you know what you're going to get out of him every day. He's going to work hard, no nonsense, and he's going to challenge his players, you know, and he's tough. If you got to go on a street fight, 
and, and you got to take someone in the alley with you. I, I'm I'm taking I'm taking Robin Lopez because yeah he he's not afraid. I I remember he had he had Serge Ibaka thinking twice uh, before trying to book up against him. You know they had a whole Robin backup in Toronto, but I thought we were all gonna get arrested. The Mounted Police was gonna come and arrest us all because <laughs> Robin Lopez went crazy. He was trying to get Serge Ibaka, baby. Woo wee. You have to make up with the Wizards mascot, that oversized basketball with a cap on it. He likes to beat up on. Yeah, he's like you said, he's crazy in the Fox. He parlayed five in the nine. I ain't mad. Yeah. I ain't mad. Hey, roll the dice. Believe. Hey, roll on. Bet on yourself, baby. Bet on yourself. Well, congratulations to Robin and all the NBA players who came up with rich free agent deals over the last week or so. Stacey, you're always worth $10 million to me. We appreciate it. Uh, we thank all our loyal listeners for tuning in to the uh, Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast. We hope you'll listen and subscribe. We'll be back at you real soon. Stacey, you want to take us home? Chicago, drive home safely. Beep, beep.